0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 11 of Intermediate English with me, Benjamin. We've had a little bit of a break since the last episode which came out two weeks ago and for the rest of the summer, in the northern hemisphere at least, it's the summer, we're going to be doing just one episode every two weeks instead of one episode every week and the reason for that is that... I'm in the middle of moving house and that is taking up quite a lot of time and also I'm teaching a lot at the moment and so I don't have as much time as I wanted to prepare the podcast Um, and I want to do something that is of good quality so instead of rushing it I think it's better to do one every two weeks or every fortnight as we say rather than doing one every week and not being happy with the result. So this week we're going to be looking at a question which quite a lot of people have asked me over the past year, which is, how did a country like Britain, with its great history of democracy and politics, elect Boris Johnson as Prime Minister? And I want to answer that question by giving you a biography of Boris Johnson and telling you a little bit more about his own life. So that you can make up your own mind about that. I'm also going to suggest a couple of reasons for why he's been successful and for why he actually fits in with the direction that Britain has gone in in the past few years and why he might in fact be a very appropriate choice. By presenting a biography of the life of Boris Johnson, although only a very shortened version of it still, this also gives me the opportunity to speak rather a lot in the past tense and the different past tenses that we have in English. And I think that that should offer you an opportunity to pick up all the different ways in which we can talk about the past in English. So I hope you find this episode interesting. The life of Boris Johnson, I should tell you a little bit about the British political system and how it works. As you know, Britain has a monarchy, and this means that it doesn't have a presidential system. Instead, people vote for prime ministers. The fact that we have a system where we vote for our prime ministers actually means that we vote for the party rather than an individual. And this means that sometimes when you're in power, when a particular party, political party, is in power and the prime minister resigns, then there isn't a general election, an election across the whole country where everyone who can vote is allowed to vote, but there is a leadership election within that party where they pick a new leader. So that means that you can actually become prime minister without having been voted for by the majority of the population and in fact a party election often involves a very small number of people voting probably fewer than a million people although it's difficult to have precise figures on that that will be an important thing to remember a little bit later in this story So Alexander Boris de Pfeffel Johnson was born in 1964 in New York, in the USA. His mother was an artist and his father was and still is a well-known figure, a writer, politician, and in fact, a leading environmentalist. Something which also is important later on in the story of Boris Johnson. His early years were spent living between the USA and the UK mostly following his father's work. When Boris Johnson was young he was a very ambitious child. When kids are young they often say that they want to be something when they grow up they might want to be an astronaut or a fireman or a dancer. Boris Johnson said that he wanted to be world king. So you can see that as a young child Johnson already had quite big ambitions for his future life. He spent two years, between the ages of 8 and 10, living in Brussels in Belgium, going to an international school. It was a school which was set up as part of the ECSC, the European Coal and Steel Community, which was a forerunner of the European Union, an organisation which was like an early version of the European Union, although much, much smaller and with very few powers compared to the powers that the European Union has today. And these two years spent in Brussels uh, were the first two years that he had engaging with a city that would be very important for his career afterwards. At age 13, Johnson got a scholarship to Eton College scholarship is when the school pays a significant amount of your fees the money that you pay to go to a school and is normally awarded based on academic skill based on how well you answer the scholarship exam Eton College the school he got a scholarship to is one of the is probably the most famous school in Britain it's one of the oldest schools in the country It has a very, very long tradition, and it's stayed quite a traditional school in lots of ways. Eton actually has a great reputation for producing prime ministers and leading politicians. And if you look at the top politicians who we have in the country today and over the last hundred years, in fact, many of them came from Eton. When he got in at age 13, he changed his name from Alexander to Boris, and he developed a bit of a reputation for laziness, for bad organization, but he also developed a reputation for his skill in classics, which is the study of Greek and Latin. And so when he left school and applied to university, he applied for classics, and he got a place at Oxford University. Again, another institution with a big tradition producing politicians and prime ministers. He began at Oxford in 1983 studying classics, and when he wasn't studying, he spent his free time playing rugby. He also joined an organisation called the Bullingdon Club. The Bullingdon Club is a drinking society, in other words, a, a group who go out drinking, go out for meals and so on, notorious for vandalizing property, destroying property, and for its cruel initiation rituals. It's a very elite group, which means that you can only get in if you've come from a certain background. And the Bullingdon Club has been a a bit of a curse on the politicians who joined it, because later on in their lives, when they had achieved some recognition as a politician, and, and of course, risen to a position of considerable power, their actions in this club would come back to bite them, as we say. Their actions would be mentioned, would be discussed in the press, discussed in books. So the Bullingdon Club for Johnson was again was something that he would later come to regret. During his time there, he also campaigned for the presidency of the Oxford Union. Just like... There are nationwide political campaigns. Oxford has its own small political scene, which is, in a sense, what we call a microcosm of the larger political landscape in the sense that the university has its own small political party groups. And the version of Parliament, which they have in Oxford, is called the Oxford Union, So he campaigned for presidency of the Oxford Union. It's a debating society, but one which has a really strong link with politics in the UK. So this is the first time that we really see Boris Johnson developing his political style and developing his political techniques. Although he was running as a Conservative in this small election... He didn't discuss his conservatism to a great extent. By the way, I'm just going to explain what conservative means. In Britain, we have a number of political parties, and the Conservative Party is one of the two parties that has been in power for the majority of the last 100 years. The Conservative Party is broadly a centre-right party, or right-wing party, So from me saying that, you might be able to compare it to some political parties that you have in your own country. So he ran as a conservative, but he tried not to mention it too much. And in fact, he tried to court the vote of a range of political opinions and parties. Courting the vote means trying to win over the vote from a number of different people from different political persuasions and backgrounds. He didn't win the presidency of the Oxford Union, but nevertheless, this does show us that Boris Johnson was a politician with a degree of flexibility in his political stance, that he was a politician who was able to exploit different parts of his political personality and use different parts of his political personality to his advantage at different times in his career. Oxford. Boris Johnson got married and to some extent he used his family connections to get a job at the Times, one of the leading newspapers in Britain. His job didn't last very long because he got fired pretty quickly for inventing a quotation used in one of his articles. That didn't stop him, he moved on to the Daily Telegraph, another newspaper regarded as being more of a right-wing newspaper and reasonably closely aligned with the conservative views that Johnson held and still holds. At the Daily Telegraph, Johnson developed a style which was entertaining, warm, and full of unusual and old-fashioned words. In fact, it's part of his style today that he still has in speeches and the articles that he writes. At the Daily Telegraph, he was sent off to be the Brussels reporter, returning back to the country and the city, which he had spent two years in as a child. And there he reported on the European Commission, which was another precursor to the EU. In fact, it is the sort of middle stage between the ECSC, which we mentioned earlier, and what will later become the European Union. While he was in Brussels... He was accused of writing articles that were flexible with the truth, if I can put it politely. His articles certainly advocated a point of view about what happened in Europe. When I say Europe, I mean Europe as a political entity. And that was a point of view that was negative and later became called Eurosceptic. So I think Boris Johnson was pretty important, actually, at the time, in Eurosceptic reporting and in creating a point of view which was broadly Eurosceptic, challenging the European Union, criticising it. In 1990, he split up with his first wife, she left him, and within a few years, he began a relationship with the woman who would later become his second wife. The two of them then moved to live in London. In the second half of the 1990s, Johnson was promoted at the Daily Telegraph and he wrote a number of articles in this period which he later regretted, he later was apologetic for. A number of them contained racial slurs that contained phrases which were offensive to people from different backgrounds and some of his articles were openly homophobic and offensive to homosexuals. This was the time of an infamous phone call, a notorious phone call he made to an old friend of his from school called Darius Guppy. In the phone call, Johnson was asked for the address of a journalist so that Guppy could send someone round to beat up the journalist. Johnson offered his help, but he said that he was worried about being implicated in the crime, in other words, being found out to be involved with it and he was concerned that his reputation would suffer. Later on, Johnson claimed that he never actually gave Guppy the address and that the attack on the journalist never happened. But it was a pretty big scandal at the time, because what this did is it showed Johnson to be someone who was prepared to support violence, and someone who was concerned primarily with his own image. In 1999, he became editor of The Spectator, a magazine associated with his previous newspaper, the Daily Telegraph, and he had some success in raising its profile and its readership, in raising the status of the newspaper and the number of people reading it. This was a time with considerable controversy, as he published editorials, in other words, the magazine articles, which are statements of the magazine's point of view, He published editorials which were deeply offensive to certain people. There are a number of examples I could pick, but in particular he made offensive comments about Islam and about a number of different parts of the UK. Around this time, Johnson started to appear on TV more and more, including on a satirical news-based quiz show called Have I Got News For You?, Satirical means it is based on satire and based on humour at the expense of politicians or public figures. This appearance was the first of many media appearances, and after this he became a much more recognised public figure. In fact, the persona which he presented was related to his persona that I discussed in newspaper columns. It was entertaining, it was warm, um, It was self-effacing, in other words, um, sometimes making jokes about himself. But equally, it was also a persona which was upper class. It was posh and disheveled, messy. Um, And this persona that Boris Johnson presented then is one that became very important later on for his success. (laughs) Now, although he had started off his career as a journalist, Boris Johnson became interested in becoming a politician, and in 2001 he was elected as the Conservative MP for Henley, the Conservative Member of Parliament for Henley, just outside of London. During his first few years in Parliament, he developed a reputation for reasonably bad speeches and laziness, He ended up voting only around 45% of the time, in other words, not going to Parliament for the majority of votes that he was expected to take part in. Instead, he spent his time publishing a number of books, one recounting his political campaign, telling the story of his political campaign, and one a work of fiction about the life of a Conservative MP, another one compiling previous newspaper and magazine articles. Despite not voting very much, he developed his career and he rose to the top of Conservative politics, eventually achieving a job in the Shadow Cabinet. So in Britain, the Prime Minister has a number of ministers, and these ministers form part of something called the Cabinet. For the party that is not in power, which at the time was the Conservatives. They have their shadow cabinet, whose job it is to serve the leader of the opposition, who at that time was the leader of the Conservative Party. So he got a job in the shadow cabinet, which is this opposition cabinet. However, his luck was about to run out again. During this time, he had been having an extramarital affair, and he publicly lied about it to cover it up. When the rumours of the affair were proved to be true, he was fired from his position. So after being fired from his first job at the Times for lying, this now was the second time in his life that he was fired for lying. This time it was about an affair. He fell back on his writing and media appearances, ending up with a very well-paid column back at the Daily Telegraph, his old newspaper, Here he earned £5,000 per column, so £5,000 a week, and presented a couple of historical TV shows at the same time. In 2007, he earned over half a million pounds, which made him the third highest-earning MP that year, so the third out of around 660. So although he hadn't achieved any significant success within the Conservative Party in Parliament, He did see an opportunity for increasing his power and increasing his public recognition in london and so he ran to be the conservative candidate for the mayor of london in 2008 he succeeded at the election and became the mayor of london his campaign had been based on reducing crime levels particularly among young people so what we call youth crime Crime perpetrated by young people, and also for making public transport safer and more ecological, less damaging to the environment. It was not an easy campaign. He was endorsed by an extreme right wing party in the UK. Endorsed means he was supported by them. He was endorsed by a far right party in the UK, and he was also asked lots of questions about his personal history and. He admitted to having used cannabis and cocaine. This damaged his campaign quite significantly. Nevertheless, he had developed a strong public image already, and to some extent, a bit of celebrity status. And I think this helped him quite a lot in his campaign. As a mayor of London, he was not radical, he kept many of the previous innovations and projects established by his predecessor, the mayor who came before him. In fact, he benefited quite a lot from the policies of his predecessor, specifically from projects which were not completed under the predecessor, but were completed under Boris Johnson. Because for infrastructure projects, it often takes quite a long time for them to be completed. And so even if you start a project, you won't necessarily see it completed while you're still mayor. One policy which he kept was the public cycle system, which is currently sponsored by the bank Santander. Colloquially, so in a common language, in common English, these bikes became called Boris bikes. So yeah, he did pretty well from allowing this project to be completed during his time. Another project which he kept in place was the 2012 London Olympic Games, which made Boris Johnson into a well-known figure, not just in the UK, but around the world. Again, this period had a fair share of scandal and controversy. There were a number of things that I could bring up, but here are just three examples. During his time as mayor, he compared the EU to the attempts by napoleon and hitler to conquer europe he made offensive comments about malaysia and ireland and there was another scandal connected to an extramarital affair this time with a businesswoman whom he then went on to support financially in his capacity as mayor in his role as mayor the accusation is that he used his office as mayor, his role as mayor, his position as mayor, to help this businesswoman with whom he had a sexual relationship. So, like a number of periods in Johnson's life, there was a fair amount of controversy. If you judge him based on his campaign, his promises to reduce crime and make public transport more ecological, it's not black and white, it's a mixed picture He made a number of decisions which were not really ecological. For example, he blocked extensions to the congestion charge, the charge which is paid by people who drive through the city during peak hours, basically during the middle of the day. He blocked extensions to that, which means that he didn't expand the scheme. He was accused of trying to hide a report on pollution in London, a report which showed that there were illegal levels of pollution in the city. So I think both of these show that he was not really as strong on the environment as what you might expect. Crime did fall during his administration as mayor, but serious youth crime increased. So again, on the specifics... um, he didn't quite achieve what he had promised his mayoral term ended in 2016 his second term because he won re-election in 2012 and by this point he had already returned to the house of commons to be mp for uxbridge and south Ricelip, a constituency in west london he returned with much more presence and recognition than when he had left parliament in 2008 <laughs> Not only had Johnson and his persona changed, but politics, more generally, had also changed significantly. The big political issue of the time was now Brexit, the argument about whether Britain should or should not leave the European Union. 2016 was the year of the Brexit referendum. A referendum is a Vote where the people who can normally vote in a general election are allowed to vote. It's a vote on a specific issue, a specific question, and the question was should the United Kingdom remain a member of the European Union or leave the European Union? The two sides of this argument split into two groups, two campaigns, one which is called Remain and one which was called Leave. In the 2016 campaign, he took some time to reflect. And in the end, he decided to put his support behind the Leave campaign, which at the time was the campaign that was behind. It was not doing as well as Remain. Johnson's support boosted the campaign enormously. He found himself on the other side of the argument from a number of previous political connections. For example, the American president, Barack Obama, whom Johnson had supported in 2008, Obama, now coming to the end of his second presidential term, said that Brexit would be a big mistake. Johnson said, in return, that Obama was influenced by his Kenyan ancestry, since Obama is half Kenyan, and that this gave him a, quote, ancestral dislike of Britain. In other words, that he was racially or genetically opposed to Britain, and that's why he opposed Brexit. This is one of many comments that Johnson made which people were quite shocked by at the time. In 2016, the Leave campaign won the referendum. The Prime Minister, David Cameron, immediately resigned and Johnson was considered to be the front-runner to follow him. In other words, the most likely candidate for Prime Minister. This was not a general election that followed, it was a leadership election because there had been a general election the year before And like I said at the start of this podcast, when you're in power and the Prime Minister resigns, you have a leadership election just voted on by the party in question. He ended up not running in the leadership election after one of his political allies shifted position and suggested that Johnson didn't have the leadership skills to be Prime Minister. Hurt by this and with his campaign in ruins, he decided not to run to be Prime Minister in 2016. The winner of that election was Theresa May and May appointed Johnson to be the Foreign Secretary, one of the most significant roles in the British government, which involves quite a lot of international travel and negotiation. It was considered a surprising choice given the number of countries that Johnson had previously offended and it was considered by some to be an attempt to keep Johnson out of the country, an attempt to stop him from attracting support from other conservative politicians. And as you might expect, his time in this role had, again, a number of controversies. This was a period in which he made a number of statements which ran contrary to the UK government's official point of view, which challenged the British government's official point of view about, for example, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Northern Ireland, Gibraltar, Russia, and Brexit, to name just a few. This became a big source of conflict between Johnson and the Prime Minister Theresa May, whose approach to Brexit was less extreme than his. In 2019, Theresa May resigned, and this was a second opportunity for Johnson to launch his campaign for Prime Minister. He ran on a platform of leaving the EU on 31st of October 2019. In other words, he ran saying that this was the most important thing, was that the UK leaves the EU finally on the 31st of October 2019, more than three years after the referendum under any circumstances, he said. In other words, with or without a deal with the EU. He won the leadership election with a significant proportion of the vote, although it's worth remembering that this election did not have a lot of people voting in it. Being a leadership election, it was just the Conservative Party that elected him. His early period as prime minister was complicated and he was attacked for his attempts to close down Parliament during the Brexit negotiations, an institution, Parliament, which he felt was stopping him from negotiating properly with the European Union. He, his actions were perceived as a challenge against democracy, something which is really prized in Britain, its democracy and its history of democracy and it's considered to be a big part of Britain's political identity and legacy. His attempt to close down Parliament was ruled by the Supreme Court, the highest court in the UK, to be illegal, and Johnson was pretty much forced to reopen Parliament. His response was to call for a general election, three years earlier than was legally required. He went on to run in this election with a slogan Get Brexit done. A really streamlined message, a really focused message, which resonated with the British population. He won with a pretty big majority, and this has given Johnson a strong position in terms of national politics, at least. This brings us up to almost the present day. In Britain, the big political issue of 2020 was supposed to be Brexit. But in fact, the big political issue around the world has turned out to be the coronavirus pandemic, COVID-19. In the future, when people look back, Johnson will be judged on his reaction to the coronavirus crisis, maybe more than he is judged for his management of the Brexit process. It is too early to say how Johnson will be perceived in the future but I think talking just about 2020 it's possible that he will be criticized in some way for the UK's pretty slow response to the spread of the coronavirus compared to the majority of EU countries The question that we're trying to answer is why has Boris Johnson been so successful? Well, there are lots of reasons why he shouldn't have got to where he has. He's offended so many people. He has, both within the UK and around the world, he has a very complicated private life. He has never said how many children he has, um, if he even knows and he has had a number of extramarital affairs which have affected his career adversely he has a reputation for laziness he is not good at details and finds it difficult to stay on top of details to, to really remember things and to look into things in a lot of with a lot of precision what does this tell us i think it shows us that a large proportion of the public and politicians aren't actually that concerned about his private life. The fact that he has offended minorities and foreign countries and that he's been supported by extremist parties, the electorate and other politicians are prepared to overlook that, to ignore that, and to focus on Boris Johnson's perceived positives. So I think these are some of the reasons why he's been successful. He is considered by many people to be entertaining, to be optimistic, funny, and relatable. Despite his background, people feel a connection with Boris Johnson that they don't necessarily feel with other politicians. Despite his relationship with the truth, some people, quite a lot of people, feel that he's honest and that he says what he thinks. I think another reason for his success is that he had considerable connections from birth, having gone also to the school and the university which produced so many prime ministers and leading Conservative Party politicians. He had everything lined up for success so that the path ahead of him was a relatively clear one, as opposed to a politician who has not had the same education and not had the same family connections For a politician like that to get to Boris Johnson's position is very, very impressive. Johnson has always had a lot of help and support from those around him. He's also benefited from a political system in the UK, which allows you to win an election with less than 50% of the vote. And the reason for that is that it not being a presidential system, there's no first round or second round like you have in France, for example. And there are more than two parties, unlike in the United States, where, of course, there are more than two parties, but effectively, there are two big parties. In the UK, there are lots of small parties. And you can win if you're just the biggest party. And in fact, it's quite a long time since a winning party has got more than 50% of the vote. I think Johnson has benefited from that and the fact that the Conservative Party has been opposed by a fractured and divided opposition. And he's also benefited from the leadership election system, which means that you can win the leadership of a party being elected by MPs and Conservative Party members and not by the entire population. We don't know how many conservative party members there are in the country but it's roughly 0.1 percent of the country's population around one in a thousand so it's not a lot of people who elected him when he first became prime minister he did then win a general election but he did that from the position of already being the prime minister so there have been a number of factors which have played into his hands as we say that have given him a fair bit of luck. But I think perhaps the main reason why Boris Johnson has been really successful is that he's perceived as an outsider by so many people. He has changed his political views quite a lot from being quite opposed to immigration and Europe to being quite open to immigration and Europe during his time as mayor of London, and then reversing again to opposition to immigration and Europe. So he has been very flexible with his point of view, depending on what kind of election he was trying to win. And I think that has helped him. But it's given him this position of being an outsider. He doesn't have a lot of natural allies in parliament. And this has been his great advantage. He's able to get quite a lot of support from other politicians because they don't see him as coming from a particular faction, coming from a particular group within the Conservative Party. Boris Johnson is a sort of one-man army, if you like. He is a group on his own within the Conservative Party. And I think, bizarrely, that has actually helped him quite a bit. Boris Johnson and his story tells us quite a lot about Britain. It tells us quite a lot about The class system in Britain tells us quite a lot about education. It tells us about people's perceptions of politicians as well. And the fact that even though he absolutely does come from the establishment, as people like to say, in other words, he has been to the same school and university as so many other British politicians and prime ministers. And yet, nevertheless ordinary people look at Boris Johnson and see him as someone that they can connect with, despite the fact that he comes from such a different background. And I think that's something really interesting about British politics, is the way that he has been perceived. He's always been considered as a politician who can win over areas of Britain that other Conservative Party politicians can't. And I think that is his great strength, is that he was able to prove by being mayor of London, which is historically not a conservative city, it's a pretty much a Labour city, it's on the left or centre-left, he was able to prove by winning the mayoralty in London twice that he could appeal to people who don't normally vote Conservative. That has really been his great strength, is to be unusual, to be an outsider, to be a maverick, So what I've tried to do today is to present to you Boris Johnson's past, his history and his present. I can't say what his future will be or how he'll be considered in the future by historians, but I think that he will certainly be remembered as a politician who was quite flexible in terms of his points of view, quite flexible with the truth and what he believed in. And a political force which is quite different to the conservative politics which came before him i hope you enjoyed today's episode i've really enjoyed putting it together for you and if you want to get in touch and tell us what you think about it you can always send us an email intermediate at gmail.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can have a great couple of weeks and we'll see you next time